I'm Simon from Kent Libraries, and this is On The Books, the library show born out of lockdown that talks about all things written word. Thoughts, ideas, inspirations, and much, much more. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Today I have with me Zoe Antoniades, who is uh, a writer, um, works in creative projects, has been a teacher, deals with children's literature and has kindly joined us here at Canterbury Library to have a little bit of a chat about writing in general and just a spoken and written word. So, hello, how are you doing? I'm doing great, yes, getting used to the world of Zoom and um, sharing my love of books through the power of the screen. So it's great to meet our friends in Kent today. It's lovely to have you on. Uh, I, I, new technology has been great for allowing us to reach out further than we ever have done before. So it's always fun to try and reach new audiences in new ways. I like to ask, start by asking sort of a, a, a simple question that's never easy to answer. Um, what inspired you to write? Actually, I, I find that an easy one to answer because I loved reading and um, reading and writing go together hugely. And someone once said, reading is breathing in and writing is breathing out. So I first became a reader at the age of four or five <laughs> and I just remembered books being magical. I just loved the, just the feel of a book and where it took you as soon as you turned a page. And from such a young age, I, it's not, I ask a lot of children I work with, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they don't always know at the age of five or even 10. Um, but from the age of five, I knew I wanted to be a writer because I loved reading and I just wanted to be part of that world of books. So, um, and I was quite good at writing at school, which kind of confirmed a bit more. This is something I can do. This is something I might want to do more with. Um, I think as I got older, I looked at maybe taking the writing into journalism and the mm -hmm. world of nonfiction worked with um, school magazines, things like that, and even had a short time working in TV journalism after I finished university. But I kind of returned to the world of fiction. I think fiction is more where my passion lies, going into imagined worlds as well as real ones. Yeah, but you can tell some real truths with fiction. Um, fiction does allow you to show some very interesting things. Well, yeah, I mean, this, my new book, Callie and Jimmy, which is coming out just in September, has a lot of truth in it, but it is fiction, um, but it's about a brother and a sister who are twins. I'm not a twin, yep. um, but I had a brother who was very close to me in age. We were only 11 months apart, so it seemed like we were in each other's pockets. So a lot of the relationship between brother and sister feelings come through this um, from real life. Um, this boy Jimmy uh, is quite lively and he's got ADHD and is a bit, bit um, funny and gets into trouble a lot but he's a very likeable as well but he's in that way he's different to my brother because my brother is quite gentle and quite mm -hmm. cool so um, yeah you use real life in your writing all the time but then you fictionalize it to make it um, you know more of a story. Where do you find inspiration from? Um, lots of ways. Um, I can see in the background you've got some of my um, earlier books which yep. are from working together with children running creative writing workshops. Um, so one way of getting my ideas is stealing them from children. <laughs> 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 
sharing them with children. So I will start with uh, maybe just a scene idea, an image from even if it's the internet, or I might say to the children, um, where shall we set the story? So often I start with a setting. Because then if you say you want to set it on a planet, mm -hmm. you're immediately bringing then in new characters like aliens. Or if you say you want to set it in um, a forest, you're kind of introducing maybe pixies and elves or knights. Um, so a setting often inspires my ideas. And then I like collaboratively sharing ideas, bouncing ideas um, to gather with children off each other. Um, so that's, I like chatting about story ideas, but then I like to go away quite quietly and get on with it on my own as well. Um, so then the ideas just start coming <laughs> from nowhere sometimes, like you've got lots of story. Well, I've kind of imagined like there's a, a cloud around you with lots of ideas and you're just pulling from, from those. So Kelly and Jimmy, um, I have talked to some children I work with for a few ideas. I've said, what, what would you like to see Callie and Jimmy do next? But mostly these ideas um, are from, yeah, life experiences a little bit, mm -hmm. but then, um, you know, develop, they kind of just grow like yep. plants <laughs> as you're writing. And that's my favourite part of writing when I'm sort of immersed in it. I like to go away and be somewhere very quiet and um, I, it's hard sometimes getting started as it yep. is for children who are writing as well. It's no different for adults. So that getting started bit can be a bit like, you know, oh, come on, let's do this. <laughs> but then one, I, my favourite part is when you're really in the zone and whole brand new bits of story are just coming from nowhere. And you think, oh, that's good. And I can't find it at all. <laughs> so it's almost like someone else is, helping me write from somewhere some other sphere or dimension i don't feel like i'm almost doing it all by myself at all that makes sense i mean i i, I um remember reading an, another author who said something similar so that his characters in the end started to write themselves but once it, yeah. they, they found a voice and he was almost channeling it so yeah. and that, it's great when that happens because it doesn't feel as hard <laughs> it feels more natural and like something's helping you with this process you mentioned about getting started i i'm someone who who dreads the the blank white page or the, the blank screen um so do you have any advice to anyone who's sitting there staring along going how do i begin yeah um how do i begin i i i am um, I have a basic idea and then I, have, I think on it for a while. Mm. Um, some of my writing friends really plan thoroughly. They've got whole walls full of maps and post-it notes and all sorts of things going on. I, I prefer it to be a bit more organic or it's a bit less fun. Um, Callie and Jimmy, I started, actually an editor asked me to give it a try. Right. She said, I'd like a story about twins. And she knew I was Greek and she said, maybe um, make them a bit Greek. So we brought, um, they're half Greek because these days, like my sister's married a Irish man. So yeah. her, my, these are a bit like my niece and nephew's generation. The, the Greek granny would be fun to bring in because she's, she will add a bit more Greekness to the story because these days, second or third generation um, children from other, with parents from other countries are, you know, 
more British than belonging to their country. So to bring the Greekness in, we brought the granny. So um, I thought, you know, so ideas sometimes come again collaboratively. From scratch, I would say, um, especially if we're giving advice to children, um, like all these books, I started with the Story Mountain. Just a really five step simple plan. So we're not bogged down with planning um, because I know children like to get into writing. But um, basically, the first step of any story is introduce characters and set a scene. So just I like to start with a scene personally. So um, I, I say to like, think of any scene you like setting. What would you like? A, a classroom, a library, uh, um, a spaceship, a forest, a park, a city, you know, a busy street, yep. anything you like. And then, then put a character in there. And um, you, then we say, what, what character could you have? A spaceman or a teacher or a child or a parent or a, um, I don't know, a hobbit. <laughs> so you, uh, you think of your character and once you've got a character in a setting, you've already started, I think. Um, the next step we use on the Story Mountain is that story goal. So yep. then just say, where do I want my character to go next? So I put them in a setting. Where do they want to go next? But really importantly, why? why? So why, that's their story goal at the end of the day. Yep. And then you're really good at remembering the third step on the mountain, the top part, which is the problem. So <laughs> this, character, <laughs> this character has a story goal. You don't want to allow them to achieve it too quickly. Um, yep. If they just get their goal, the story's over at step two and it's finished. So yep. give them a problem, an obstacle, some conflict to get in the way of that goal. Um, then you've already got more than half a story. So your ideas are full already. And then you need to solve that problem because you don't want to leave them hanging on the top of the mountain (laughs) in trouble. And then then your story's kind of finished. Um, But just to give it, children especially find it hard to write a good ending. And even my editors asked me several times to rewrite my endings to make them extra good. Because endings, I think, are really important as much as the beginnings. Um, so I tell the children to try and link their ending back to somewhere else on the story mountain. So where were they at the beginning? How about where are they in, at the end? Um, where were they going? Where did they get to? What was their story goal? Did they achieve their story goal? But most of all, just really simply end on a feeling, end on a reflection. How do they feel at the end? And it feels finished. So five really simple steps. And usually by then, my children are no longer stuck. They are like, well, I've got a story now. I've just got to write it. Um, That's really then... helpful. That's really, really helpful. <laughs> I didn't make it up, actually. And <laughs> another, ancient, another ancient Greek made that up called Aristotle. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> it's called yes, the Aristotelian Ark. So, but I simplified it along with some other um, good teachers who have influenced me um, to simplify the the ideas of those five steps to make sense to us all and as soon as they yes as soon as something like that makes sense you can produce all sorts of wonderful things that's just hang things off it yeah you hang things off those five um hooks and then then you embellish as you write the fun part is in the writing isn't it so i have to ask them i mean you talk so passionately about writing and everything like where did your love of the written word come from um just i 
I think I'm, I think I was lucky. It was one of my natural talents mm. and interests. Just like some children are born really good at sport yep. or really good at art. I mean, our illustrator Katie King, she she adds so much to this book with her drawing. Yeah. I cannot draw or illustrate very well at all. I don't like to say can't do at all because that's yeah. not good attitude. But I'm not a natural illustrator. Um, some some people are amazing at baking aren't they yeah. <laughs> so I think I was naturally um, attracted to words and language and just the, the art of it all and um, so it may have been I might have been slightly born with it I've got quite an artistic family they're quite musical my family right. as well um, but just the more I read the more I loved and it might be a cliche but one of the people writing it I'm most most made me fall in love with language with the great Shakespeare. I don't think that's a cliche. I like that yeah. answer. That's a good answer. I, w I was scared of Shakespeare for many years until I was at least 14. I thought mm. this is scary, really hard language. It doesn't even sound like English. <laughs> Poetry, which I'm not quite great at understanding either. Um, and I had this fantastic teacher, Mrs. Yep. Cole. And um, she brought Shakespeare to life with Romeo and Juliet. And she, she started just by telling us the story. Yeah. And, um, and then we put the words to the story. And it just, the older I get, the more I understand Shakespeare and just the more oh. I love it. There's so much in there. I found Shakespeare was accessible the moment I saw it. So yes. I, was, I was introduced to it in the classroom in a book and it didn't make much sense. And then I had, like you, I had a teacher that was was one of those inspirational teachers that did something a bit more and he he just acted it and then yeah. all of a sudden Shakespeare came alive. Yeah because it's put the words from the page onto the stage it's written to be performed isn't it even if it's just recorded and vocalized um, but yeah when I work with older pupils sometimes I work with children doing their GCSEs if they're studying Macbeth I say you know we have to go See, yeah, got to see it. yeah, you've got to see that bit. That that's one of the best ones as well. So, I love, um, I love language. I love it when it's cleverly done. I love the some of the more. I like reading. Obviously, I'm a children's writer, but I love reading grown-ups writing. Yep. I love um, the current Booker Prize winner Bernadine Evaristo. Yep. I love the way she experiments with styles and structures, and but great stories at the end of the day. So you say you read widely, and I, I, I think everyone should read widely. Personally, I work in a library. I would think that. Um, however, I, I find that, that there is always a moment or there is a book or several books um, I've, that something goes click, it changes your life. Do you have a book like that that, that, that changed your oh. life? Hard question. <laughs> I think the ones that changed my life is in that they're just so well written that they make me just want to um, be a writer too and love language even more. And probably the, the first one I read, well, actually, no, there's three. Am I allowed yep. to say three? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so obviously the ones that changed my life first would have been children's books. Yeah. So um, two that involved portals to other worlds, because I'm writing kind of very, there's no magic in this. Yeah. It's all um, fun. <laughs> and it's about relationships, getting on with people and how people get on well with each other and solving problems, that sort of thing. But I love reading fantasy um, where 
you went to other worlds. So my two favourites, Mount Guess, <laughs> was the Eden of Titans, Faraway yep. Tree. Um, just I loved. To, we used to walk to school through a park, and I, there was a big tall tree. And I used to really wish that was the Faraway Tree. And I also loved um, C.S. Lewis's um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. I just that first time she goes the back of the wardrobe disappears and the, the crunching snow and the, <laughs> the first coats turn to trees. I mean, how amazing. I would have loved to have gone on adventures like that. So those both really changed my world mm. as a, a child that made me want to read more books to, to sort of escape to other places. As we didn't have as many TV channels in those days. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we only had three and they only put children's TV on at a certain time. So there wasn't Netflix, YouTube, any of those things. Um, so I had books for escapism. Books for escapism. Oh, have I last him a third one? Yeah, that's your third one. Please, <laughs> uh, my your third, third one. one that changed my life, just which made me think, wow, writing can be really clever and amazing was Roald Dahl. Ah. I was in year four, what's now called year four, and I picked up the twits. And ah. it was just something about the beard description. And just, it was so funny. It was just something about Roald Dahl's writing style. It was quirky and it was, I still don't think I've, I've come across another writer like him. I know some people like to think they might be <laughs> Covers of their books might look a bit like his books, but then I just haven't met a writer that's anything of his calibre. It's just, it's just, he's so unique still. I think the the voice of his writing. So, it will, it will last. I think that will carry on and on and on. But yeah, I've, I'm very much so. It's just, I just, and as a child, opening the twits, and and then after that, I just read every Roald Dahl book. <laughs> I was like, more, please. It's just something about the way he writes. I'm a big fan. So that leads me quite nicely onto my next question, actually. If you could have written, if, if there was one book you wish you had written or could have written, what would that be? Oh, oh. I, I don't like to think I'd be worthy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, I mean, my, my favourite, probably, I, I liked, of the Roald Dahls, I'd say Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I love because yeah. I like and and although that's a bit more quirky, even like things like Callie and Jimmy, I like stories where um th where the characters come through, you know, and the characters um the the underdog kind of wins in the end, and <laughs> um, I like that sort of uh, battle of personalities and um just looking at different characters, how they journey. And so Charlie's the underdog, but he gets what he wants. Gets what he wants. magic as well. Um, so, yeah, and, I, and, all, and Narnia as well. And all the, the whole, I read all seven mm. chronicles of Narnia when I was a bit older, because yeah. actually they're quite smart. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think um, they're worth reading as a young adult because, um, I, love, I just thought it was very clever what he did, the way he connected all seven, although then they don't seem as connected. They're not like the seven Harry Potter books that really no. do go from one to the next as sequels that make one whole big story. The, the seven Chronicles of Narnia are their individual books, but what connects them is the universe around them, isn't it? And I thought that was very, very clever. 
So if I could ever write anything, (laughs) extremely impressing myself. (laughs) I don't think it's my style or genre though to write. It's certainly something I love to read, but I don't think it's my own. um, Fair enough. Um, Speaking of your own style and genre, the the voices, the the, the voices collection, the Invincible Voices collection, where where did, what was the genesis for that? Was it, was it the workshops or where where did Uh, the idea come from? came from actually I did a, a like a sort of prototype many years before when I was teaching in a school um uh, the polka theater came to us and they were doing a project with lots of different schools and it was actually like a writing project more than a theater project and it was called writing the world and they took a country each year and you and you could write any story you liked about based with the country at heart so one year it was Brazil. So I worked with about 20 children and we created stories just like we do with Invincible Voices collaboratively. They went away then and wrote them by themselves and then I edited them together with through shared writing afterwards. So these stories were good. <laughs> a couple of them got performed at the theatre. So the, the theatre then select a few and a real writer, I think it was Marcus Sedgwick that year, mm came onto the stage and he read some of the stories out. Um, And I thought, and this is nice, the children got a certificate and we had our event at the theatre, but I thought these stories are really more than that. I tell you what, I'll I'll photocopy them and put them in a book so the children can take them home. Um, But then I thought, that's a lot of photocopying. (laughs) Let's (laughs) see about, um, or is is there a more efficient way of doing that, a more more special way of doing that? So I discovered self-publishing that way. I found some book companies where you didn't have to be a famous writer. You just pay for the printing and the putting together costs. So we as a school um, printed the stories in a smart book that looked a lot like this. And we called it Shared Voices, I think. Um, But that was just a one-off. And then when I um, moved from working directly in schools, I still visit schools a lot, which I enjoy, but um, I don't stay in one school now as a teacher. Um, So I I became a tutor working from home so that I could have more time to do my own writing. Mm -hmm. And, but I also kept teaching through running creative writing workshops so I'd work together with the children planning stories and sharing ideas and writing together and I thought and I and I said to them we'll do this for a book so it gave the writing a more even more of a purpose so they were really excited to write something knowing it would make it into real print I also had a website going because it takes it would take a good year for each of these really. Yeah. So I couldn't do everybody's story that way. Um, so I also had a website where we could just publish digitally children's stories. So there's lots of ways to to write for a purpose now and to get the writing out there. So um, so yeah, we did four four collections yeah. and um, children like to read them as well, even if they're not the children who wrote the stories. Um, children when I go around schools love they all want to buy a copy at home time as well because they love um, reading stories by other children yes because they've got the children's ideas in them and they've got I, I, the children's hearts in them so I think yeah we, we 
we miss uh, we we undersell children's ideas we should we should pay more attention they, they have, have great ideas they need a bit of help structuring them <laughs> channeling them and um polishing them up yeah but the ideas are as good as any grown-ups in fact better because they're less restricted less restricted yeah, yeah where, where do we learn that that we, we can't be somewhere down the line we, we stop learning to be creative don't That's we some people do <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think people just have, you know, as you get older, you've got a few more rules and day to day <laughs> to do and it, it, your head space gets filled up a bit more with boring, ordinary things like paying bills, and paying bills. Car or <laughs> so children so, are fruitier, I think. In this age, which is undoubtedly digital, ironically, because we're doing it like this, um, where do you think the written word has place now with the, in the realm of devices and, and, and social media? Do you think it still has a place or do we, do we have to fight for that place? What do you think? <laughs> I think, I don't know. I mean, um, it's not quite social media, but when the Kindle thing came mm. out, um, it, people were worried that the good hard copy <laughs> of the would die out. But, um, I've heard, I don't know for sure, I haven't done the science, I've heard something like 50%, children like it about 50-50, they, like, they still want the real hard copy as well as to hold a Kindle. And I think that then translates to any screen, looking at text on a screen or video on a screen, it's still different to the feel of a real book. I like going backwards and forwards through the book a bit, but if I sort of thinking, oh, what did that character do again? Who was that one's mum? And popping back in. I don't know. They, children still love to um, clutch a book, especially if they've met the author and the author signs that book. There's something a bit different about um, a hard copy of text to a, a digital text. True, so digital. although we can't visit libraries and bookshops as easily now as we could in the past, um, we're starting to be able to again, which is yep. great. But we can also order online, you know, true, we can order from true. Hive and, and we, then we get our book in our home and we can still sit in our comfy armchair and read a book <laughs> rather than look at a screen. So books are still accessible. Um, but I, you know, I'm on social media a lot. I, I think there's a place for social media. It's blogging, you know, yep. it's a way of getting your voice out there. Um, when I do talks in schools now and children ask me, um, how can I be a writer? How can I get published? I don't just include get yourself an agent and an editor and a publisher and get yourself a paperback book done. On my list of ways to be a writer, I've included um, school magazines, school newsletter, which are all often digitalized. Yep. I've included um, get yourself a, a WordPress website if you're a bit older and yep. you can blog that way. Um, I, I'm too old to know what the young people's social media is. <laughs> I certainly blog through Facebook and Twitter. That's a blogging medium. Yep. Um, I know the younger audiences use more video blogging, but it's still the spoken word. And um, yep. you've still got to plan and organise what words come out and how they come out. So it's, it is writing in a way. Yes. Uh, verbally writing it. <laughs> So, I mean, and if I'm doing a, I don't know, a YouTube video that I want people to really take seriously, I would probably write something first before yes. I start doing it. You'd script so it. 
or I've, I've done some recordings of me reading from my books on yeah. YouTube. Um, so there's text and screen coming together because I'm reading from the text. Another thing, nice with Zoom as well, I have the shared screen. Yep. So share your screen. And so there's just a little picture of me in the corner. But then I've got the whole text up on the screen and we can underline things. We can add to it. I can put word up on the screen and write together with children. They can shout out their ideas and I can write on the screen in front of them. So, you know, so it's a real amalgamation. Yeah, you combine now writing yeah. with the visuals and I'm, I love that. I mean, I'm a visual person. It's great to put the two mediums together. That's fantastic. So I, I've noticed that behind you, your bookshelf looks immaculately neat. I'm a bit tidy. I didn't do it <laughs> the Zoom. <laughs> I'm quite a tidy person. <laughs> I, wasn't but I, have, I have strategically placed Kelly and Jimmy there. So. <laughs> and some of of my favorite authors as well are up there but I do kind of keep them in alphabetical order (laughs) alphabetical order so uh, yeah I was going to ask him where do you organize it in alphabetical order makes sense working in a library we have to organize by genre but that um but yes so you do organize yourself genre in that I've got all my adult books my grown-up books in the back in the living room my children's books are here yeah. my non-fiction books are over there. So ah. I've, I've got a slight categorisation <laughs> as well. I'm, I'm very organised. It's unusual then that I'm not one of those writers who plans like my friend with all the post-it notes on the wall. Because <laughs> I don't <laughs> like to write in that way at all. I'm not, I'm not meticulous with planning of my story. Um, but I'm meticulous with keeping everything tidy around me. So right. that I've nothing bothering my head while I'm writing. <laughs> Because if, if that bookshelf was all crooked, I'd be worrying about that instead of my words. <laughs> Absolutely distracting. Well, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish my bookshelves were like yours. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I do like a tidy bookshelf. <laughs> I can find what I need as well. Because I lend my, I'm a, like, a mini library here. I lend my books out to my children that right. I work with. And um, so if they say, oh, have you got Percy Jackson? I know I can go to R for Riordan and pick it out. Currently, and quite rightly so, especially with the lockdown and COVID and, and in general, we've had a much greater awareness of, of mental health, um, the mm. importance of mental health and, and looking after ourselves, um, especially in children. Um, so I'm sort of asking writers where they think reading and writing fits in with good mental health or uh, can it help good mental health oh yeah absolutely so um when i was younger um my parents um got divorced and that was a troubling time unsettling time for me um so i found writing a diary was a great way for to keep my mind focused or just let out my ideas and feelings in a diary so I always think diary writing is a great um, way to express yourself and support with um, mental health. Um, how else does writing help with that? With reading stories um, that are relatable. So yeah. I know, like, you know, things like Jacqueline Wilson stories that um, connect with the real world. Or I think you've got there the boy at the back of the class. Yep, yep, yep. Um, that's you know um, helps children understand you know refugees and their plight um, difficult situations and although you know the readers might not have been a refugee they can Mm. connect with you know all the family issues or the sense of 
loneliness or despair and how you overcome that. Um, so reading about other people's experiences that you can relate to. Um, I felt I wrote, and children are starting, it's starting to come out in their creative writing as well, the fictionalized right. versions. And that's a way of, I think, pouring it out without being too personal, but expressing yeah. your feelings and trying to organize the chaos that's in your head a little bit more tidily on the page to just structure that. So I've, um, we've, we've been involved in a couple of competitions during lockdown. One was a poetry competition for the Chiswick Book Festival. And the, the ideas from COVID were starting to come out um, mm -hmm. in the poetry, but in, in very sweet ways, you know, just things like quarantine is not all bad. You get to spend <laughs> time with mum and dad. <laughs> but then also the, there were some really um, poignant lines. I think the children didn't even like try hard to write them. They just came out and they were out. really good to read as well as probably for the child to write. Um, fantastic yeah um I, I i pretty much agree with pretty much everything you've said actually about a, a safe space or somewhere to to escape to or or just empathize with or relate to that, that's that's brilliant do you have any memories or where did you, uh, your experiences of public libraries what, what, what's your experience yeah. <laughs> i really did i loved it um two uh, one was the school library Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got to get out the classroom. <laughs> no, so we're different. Um, and choose a book for the week. And there's something about the crackle of the pages. And like, <laughs> they, they go covered in plastic a lot as well. Yeah. And I loved that, getting it stamped. We had them stamped, you know, the old stamps and the, the slips. Um, my local library, as a child, mum used to take us. And I used to just love going through the the picture books, I remember choosing picture books a lot, Megan Morgan. <laughs> the great thing about the library, like I'm lucky, I, I just, one of the main things I buy is books for pleasure. So I have a lot of books in my home, but I know a lot of um, people can't afford to always have books of their own to buy every single time they want a new book. So what better place to get one from than from a library? So as a, as a child, you read so much, especially picture books, you can't buy, 10 picture books a week <laughs> so you you were able to go and get you know as many books as you liked so i loved that and then i got older i used chiswick library a lot yeah liked using that um had a nice atmosphere it was a nice <laughs> place to go and work as well sometimes like to go and do your homework and i like so you I like people that today you have yeah, people come in makes a change of scene and there's something peaceful about it and the smell of the books around you makes you feel a bit more studious. <laughs> the good zone to be in. So you mentioned earlier that one of the people that inspired you was Shakespeare, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. That was, but if if there was a, um, if there are any other authors that inspire you as a creative person, the uh, my favourite adult writers, um, and it does relate to Callie and Jimmy a bit because they're all writers who talk about families and okay. relationships and how people get on so I love um Anne Tyler right um, and I like Pat Barker um I quite like yeah I quite like historical fiction actually don't write it a lot but um who else are my favorite authors Margaret Atwood yes um so I've got more <laughs> I'm reading Elizabeth Strout a lot at the moment who wrote Olive Kittredge and she writes about families and parents and relationships with their children and that sort of thing 
I like those sort of family drama type books. Um, probably another thing that influences me though as a writer, professionals that influence me are, are comedians. Right. I like, I like comedians who write well. Yeah. Um, so I loved Victoria Wood growing <laughs> up. And, yes. and I like all the contemporary comedians that you might see on Mock the Week. Those kind <laughs> of they, I think they influence me to like look at the world and laugh at it a little bit you know, not take it too seriously sometimes. Well, I think a comedian and a writer aren't all that dissimilar because they think very, very carefully about what they're actually saying, although they yeah. make it look effortless. And I suppose it's the same with the writer. Yeah. When you, when you write, when you read what's been written, it seems like it, it's, it's, it's so effortless, but, but, but obviously the amount of work that goes into um, the thinking that goes behind the, 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 the shaping that goes into writing. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's all very precisely thought about. And I, so, yeah. And they tell stories as well. Uh, I suppose I really should ask, what's next for you? So you've got Callie and Jimmy, uh, uh, Twins in Trouble, out in September, isn't it? September. And I believe there's, there's one after, due after that? Yeah, later. it's a series. So right. we've got two books ready to go so far well nearly ready to go this one's coming out in september and then callie and jimmy twin tastic is coming out in it was february i think it's been moved to april now um which is fine so in the book there are four stories right so, um they're four long short stories <laughs> okay um and they've all really illustrated as well lots of illustrations in there so they're really great to read um they're a real they are a double act actually with the illustrator of myself she she brings something extra to the books that um wouldn't be there without her illustrations so they, how does that work with the illustrations do you have long conversations um, it was tricky. yeah that was our new um, like my first time working with an illustrator really all the invincible voices i just asked the children to illustrate yeah. and i just because i self-published these yeah. i just put the children's illustrations in um but this, um, because it's with a really cool posh publishing company, um, Anderson <laughs> Press, they're a big team. It's my first time really working with a big team like that. Um, the editor really helped me make the stories as smart as they can be. Um, she's Charlie Shepard, she's brilliant. And then the, a, the publishing company chose an illustrator from an agency. Oh, right. that they'd had their eye on already and they used this agency for lots of illustrators so they said to me we found this illustrator Katie Keir she looks great shall we have her for Callie and Jimmy so I would have a bit of a choice I could have said no if I didn't like the style of her work but um it was very unlikely that I would say no yeah. um, especially when I saw her work it was excellent so the agent the um publishing house chose the illustrator right. and then there's a where the editor works closely with me on the text, there's an art director type of person who works closely with the illustrator on what pictures should go in the book and where they should go. Right. So I didn't initially, I had to sort of trust the illustrator a lot really to read the text and be faithful to the text. Um, I did send her some photos of um, me and my brother when we were little and my sister, because the girls right. got sister's hair <laughs> she definitely got my sister Stella's hair from when she was a kid um, the triangle shape so I gave I sent a few photos just for a bit of inspiration 
And the granny character at first didn't look very Greek because I yeah. hadn't seen any photos of grannies. Um, let me find a good picture of granny. There's a bit of one there. <laughs> yep, um, okay. I don't know if I, but he was, there she is. She's got... Yeah. He's a she's a real favourite character of a lot of the children who read this. The granny didn't come out right first time. So first they sent me just some pictures of the main characters and mm -hmm. they said, Do you like the look of these? And Callie and Jimmy were like spot on, I wouldn't have changed a thing. And then um the granny wasn't quite right. So we sent the granny backwards and forwards a few right. times. So I didn't actually talk directly with the illustrator. We went through the art director. Yeah. But then I thought this illustrator's doing such an amazing job and she's so good. And when, when she got the text, she, she turned the scenes to exactly how I imagined them. So she must have really read the text closely. Mm. And I was really impressed with that. And she added humour to the story, made them even funnier through her drawings. Like <laughs> you were chuckling at Granny. It's just, she's really funny, the illustrator. She puts humour in. Um, so I, um, I, I didn't have to say very much. And then, but I thought she's so good. I haven't met this person. I haven't spoken to her directly at all. So I found her on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> so we, we sent each other some messages that way, but I don't really instruct her or anything through that. Um, it's, it's an area that I've, obviously with dealing with the children's library and we see all the picture books and we saw, it's an area that I've never really, obviously, illustrations must go hand in hand with the words, but I've never, never understood the process or, or so think, it's very really enlightening. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, some illustrators are like they write as well, like um, Krista Cowell yeah. illustrates her own book. Um, I didn't really understand this process at all. I till I started working with Katie Keir. And I think I was a bit scared to say anything at first because I didn't want to upset anybody, <laughs> but um, I am allowed to make some changes. I'm always given the proofs in advance yeah. and I, circle things like I say oh you know he's meant to have there's a Halloween story like he hasn't got furry hands and furry right. feet for the werewolf <laughs> and he needed to have furry feet because they get soggy in the rain and it's right so I could say it's like could you put the furry feet on please or, but I can't change whole pictures and go oh I don't want one of that I suppose I, we, we need to kind of wrap it up there but Zoe thank you very much for for agreeing to come on and, and, and be one of our interviewees it's been really interesting to listen to what you've had to say I'm sure our audience will absolutely love it and thank you once again thanks for having me it was an absolute pleasure well I hope you enjoyed our interview with Zoe Antonidis her new book Callie and Jimmy Twins in Trouble is available now it can be found in Kent libraries and all good bookshops for more information on our digital services and our offer, visit kent.gov.uk slash libraries or follow the link below. To see more what we're up to in terms of social media, follow us on our Facebook page, also linked below. Thank you for watching. I'm Simon and goodbye.